Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read our verse for the day, and then we're going to, um, I'm going to pray one more time with a certain picture in our head. Um, we're doing one verse today. It is Ephesians 5.21. If you would like a Bible, uh, put your hand up in the air, and somebody will bring you a Bible as I read this. Um, if you want to just follow along, uh, I'll read, those, read these out, so you're more than welcome just to listen if that's something that you can do well as well. Uh, but you can put your hand up and somebody will bring a Bible to you. Ephesians 5.21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we pray here in a minute, um, uh, let, let's try to engage our imagination a little bit. And the way to do that um, is to picture, if you can, whatever this looks like for you, picture Jesus. Um, okay? Whatever image you may have of him, whatever thing comes to mind, go ahead and just throw that up on the screen projector of your mind. And then as we pray, go ahead and look at that image. Uh, so that when we're praying, we're focused on Christ. Um, and where we're at. And then later on, we'll see another image of Jesus. Um, and, and we'll have a clearer picture of who we're really talking to. Um, so let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you that it was within your will and your purpose that today we are here together. And that you have set up this appointment for us. To meet with you. To meet with one another. And that as we go forward today in your word, I pray that you would teach us underneath the shadow of your wings that you are safe place to learn and grow even when we may struggle, that we recognize, Father, that you, as our authority, are doing all things for our good. And Lord, we pray today that you would teach us your will in this area of submission. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I say the word submission, uh, there's a lot of things that come to mind culturally, right? Uh, some of us may think of uh, a certain type of sexual experience because of modern movies that are making that. Or some of us may think of uh, uh, MMA fighting, like some of us are really into some sort of wrestling or MMA fighting, and you think of submission and a type of, a type of literally forcing your opponent to give up, and, and that's the picture you have. Um, some of you are like me, and you have a warped sense of humor, and you think of a certain underwater craft going out on patrol, a submission. Okay, so with that, so, but with that said, all joking aside, oftentimes when we think of this word submission, it often carries with it a negative connotation. And for most of us, when we think about the word submission, either we try not to think about the word submission, or we try to justify why we don't do it in certain areas. And what becomes of this word, this idea, is that this idea gets put in a place in our mind and our heart where it's no longer a joyful thing. It's no longer something we get to follow God in. It becomes something where we have to try as hard as we can to make ourselves do what God wants us to do. And it's a bummer. Wherever your mind goes, I, I want us to think about submission in a different sense. Because scripture teaches it in a different light. 
I have a uh, specific book that I read this week, and, and one of the quotes, or one of the, the person who wrote the book, um, I'll quote several quotes from the book, but this person is Watchman Nee, he's a pastor, um, and he says it this way, at the center of all disputes in the whole universe relates to who has authority. And you got to follow me on this, because when you first read that, you may think that every dispute is somebody trying to gain power over another. And, and I want to tell you that just because every dispute relates to authority doesn't mean that the issue is people-to-people authority. And as we'll see later on, it has really less to do with people-to-people authority and more to do with people-to-God authority and how God has chosen to order the world. He also says this, the greatest demand that God has on man is not bearing the cross, it's not our offerings, it's not our setting, setting ourselves apart for worship, and it's not self-sacrifice. God's greatest demand on man is actually submission. So in studying one verse, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to have a working definition of submission. And this is based, this is my own definition, okay? This comes from studying the scriptures, not just this week, but for, from years and years of somebody who's lived quite unsubmissively in his life, having to learn continually what it means. What does this mean, submission? And here's where I've come to after this study. Submission is joyfully, willingly, and humbly trusting Christ with my life and perceived rights, seeking to live under his rule and those who are in leadership under him. Now, Webster's definition is far more like that MMA fight, that someone is pushing down on someone else and that person finally gives up. But that is not at all what Scripture teaches. And as we'll see, the context of verse 521 is 18 to 21, 518 to 21. And it starts with this idea, this participle, dependent on the imperative of the word be filled. So here's what I mean by that. The participle is submit, the imperative is be filled. And because of that, this imperative carries with it these different things, okay? You have sing psalms hymns and spiritual songs to one another. You have speak to one another out of the joy that's in your heart. And you have submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now because of that context, the context of submit to one another, it is not sad. It is not unwilling. It is joy. The disposition of submission is joy. Here's what I mean. Spirit-filled followers in 18 to 21 look like 18 to 21. And the end of it, the hinge that separates the sections of 18 to, 18 to 21 and the rest of the book, 522 to 69, all of that is hinged on this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the back-end context of 521 is this. You have all of these very specific relational things that the Lord is giving to us. He says, it's wives submit to husbands, it's children submit to their parents, slaves to masters. But the interesting thing is in 522, most of our Bibles will say, wives submit to your husbands. 
It will add the word submit. Now, before, before this gets all out of whack, okay, I don't want you to stop listening after I say this next phrase. I want you to continue listening because it could get really confusing. 522 has no verb in the Greek. All it says is wives to your own husbands. Now, what this means in the syntax of this paragraph, what this means is that 521 becomes the verb for the rest of this section. 521, when it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the verb in 522 is actually in 521. So here's what this looks like, okay? If, if Paul were to say it uh, in a specific way that maybe we would understand better, he would say it this way. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and here is how. Wives to husbands. Children to parents. Slaves to masters. Now, why is that important? Because most of us, when we read 521 and we hear submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we think of reciprocal subordination, right? We think of an everyone, all of us, in authority over all of us. But based on that syntax that I just told us, submit to one another is simply a general phrase that Paul is using and he then qualifies it with these very specific relationships. Okay? Now, understand, we are to see one another as more important than, than ourselves, right? We are continually trying to do that. But this is not what Paul is describing as submission. This is humility and love. We are commanded to carry ourselves with one another in humility and love, to look out for the interests of others, not just our own. But that is not what this is teaching. What this is teaching is that God has ordered the world. God has given what is his to some for the sake of the benefit of all. And because he has done that, we then get to look at the word submit again and think of it more joyfully, willingly, humbly, acknowledging that God is the one who possesses this authority and he gives it to some. Now, I'm going I'm to clarify that, that sentence I just gave you a second ago, that, that submitting to one another does not mean this reciprocal everyone-to-everyone idea. Okay? Here's one pastor's take. There is no contradiction between mutual submission and a relationship of leadership and response. Mutual submission doesn't mean that both parties must submit in the exact same ways. Here's an example. Christ submitted himself to the church in one way by a kind servant leadership that cost him his life. And the church submits herself to Christ in another way by honoring his leadership and following him. Now I'm going to refer to certain relationship specifics, okay? I've already kind of referred to them, wives to husbands, children to parents, that kind of stuff, but I'm not here to talk about those specifics, okay? What I want us to do is to focus in on what submission really is and who really has authority and how we can change our attitude towards that. So let's look again at 521. 
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That ending is where we're beginning, okay? Reverence is a juiced-up form of respect that more tangibly looks like healthy awe and fear, okay? Now, we no longer fear condemnation, okay? As Christians, we don't fear that God is going to smite us, okay? That's not what I'm saying here. It is a fear that comes naturally to us when we recognize something or someone bigger, when we recognize something or someone who's so powerful that we can't comprehend it. He is, he is not scary because we're afraid of what he's going to do to us. He is scary because he is so big. And if we were to look at God, we would be literally put in a place of awe that felt like fear. Here's what I mean. In Revelation 1, 10 to 18, it's a picture of Jesus given by the Apostle John. Check this out. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Again, we're, this is the Apostle John talking. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Now listen to this picture. Clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Sorry, I can hear a hum behind me. Uh, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one, and I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, when I had us picture Jesus a moment ago when we prayed, um, someone may have pictured this. All right? But most often, who we picture is the man on the cross. And I want you to understand something about Jesus. Jesus, in his humble form, is not Jesus in his full form. You gotta understand something. This picture of Jesus, I want you to read this last phrase with me that he says. He says, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now, when we hear that, you know what it's like to look at the sun on a summer day and to turn and look, right? Now picture if you were five feet from the sun. I feel like John's response is appropriate. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, was John afraid of God hurting him? No, but what he was afraid of was, oh my God goodness, who am I really dealing with here? Who is this dude? Last one, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image, this is talking about Jesus again, the image of the invisible God. He is the epitome of impossible, okay? The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and for by him 
All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. You noticing a trend here, the phrase all things, right? It is not an exaggeration. God is the only one that is all forever eternal like this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Submission as a word as a concept, starts with falling under the authority of that God. When you think about that word, I want you to think about what I just said about Jesus. Because he possesses all authority. Listen to some of these words that talk about his authority. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. This is Proverbs 19:21, But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Let this wash over you today as you think about your life. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Jesus has chosen to give a portion of his authority to some to create order in our world. Romans 13:1. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it where he wills. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Watchman Nee says it again this way, all authority is from God because everything is ordered by God. If we trace any authority upward, we eventually will come to God. God is above all authorities and every authority is under him. So here's the implication. Rebellion against God's deputy authority, okay, someone he's chosen to give his authority to for a season or a time or a task. Rebellion against God's deputy authority is rebellion against God himself. Based on that reverence, based on that understanding of God, we then come to what is our attitude of submission? What is the attitude, the disposition that we are to carry when it comes to falling underneath the authority of God and ultimately the authority God establishes? If we choose to rebel, rebel in some form, if we choose to rebel, that is coming from a place of pride that is coming from a sense of independence of living the way that God has intended for us to live. 
We are choosing not to live life on God's terms. We are choosing to live life on our own. And when I first say this, many people think to themselves, okay, I do that every day. True story, right? In some form, we rebel every day against the authority of God. Some form, right? When we sin, it is rebelling against the authority of God in some form. But I want us to understand something. Specifically this, pride is a scary reality for us. Because here's how the scriptures teach. In the New Testament, okay, you've got James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5 that both say this phrase because it comes from another place in scripture. And it says this, in 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves in humility toward one another, okay, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now here's the picture. If we choose not to walk in some form of dispositionally correct authority to God, we are choosing to put ourselves in opposition to the God whose face is brighter than the sun in its full form. That is a huge thing that we are doing. Now, if you're, if you're like me and you, I have a list of 35 manifestations of pride. They're not just mine, but I could definitely fall underneath all of them. If you want them, I can send them to you. It's Danny P at revolution22.org. I'll send them to you. I'm not going to go into all of them today because honestly, we'll just all walk out of here feeling like we're junk. But the point of that is not that. The point is this. Our pride is serious. This is not a joke. This is not a, I get to choose everything I want in the Lord. That is not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is that God who is good offers good to those of us who are not good. And we get to choose his good or no good. And we don't like it. But we can. Jesus is an example to us of submission. It's funny because a second ago I talked about how Jesus is like the one we submit to, right? And Jesus also came down to earth and gave us the example of how to submit. Man, brilliant. Love this dude. All right, Matthew 26, okay? Matthew 26, this is Jesus before he goes to the cross, right? And, and if you didn't know that, welcome to church. Jesus died on a cross, right? And he rose again for you. Well done. Your life can be changed today. Let's do this thing, okay? If you're not new to church and you've heard that before, let's move on. Garden of Gethsemane, right before the cross, okay? Jesus says this to the Father, all right? Now, I say this says this. I'm going I'm to give you something really fast. He is literally in a form of pain that most of us in this room have not experienced emotionally. And he says this to the father. He says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, ah, do you hear that? I went into that really fast. Why? Because the scripture goes into that really fast. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now I want you to pause right there. He is appealing to his authority on earth. He is saying to God, please, like I understand that this is what I came for. Is there any way that you can let this cross pass from me? I don't want necessarily to go right now. But one of the most brilliant, emboldening things in all of Scripture is not a word. 
It's a pause. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now understand something. In that moment, after this moment, we don't see Jesus struggle like this until he says, Lama Sabachthani, and he asks God, Why have you forsaken me? Jesus walks off this hill emboldened by the mission God has given to him. Why? Because healthy submission may at times feel like, Man, I don't want to do this, but then I walk away feeling like, Man, I'm ready. I want to follow God. I want to do what God asks of me because I know it will be better for me and it will be better for those I'm doing it for. Listen to this. You might think to yourself, well, where's the joy in Jesus in that passage? Aren't you talking about submitting from a disposition of joy, Danny? Yes, it's in Hebrews 12. It says that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, why would he feel joy in the cross? Doesn't it seem a little counterintuitive? A little sadistic? No, Jesus recognizes something that we all hopefully will leave with today, and that's this. When God asks us to submit to him and submit to those he's given to us as leaders, he always does it with our good in mind. Now, there's a word in here that blows my mind, and there's a principle in this next passage that, in my opinion, is one of the biggest things to understand about walking with God. He says it here in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Again, this is the attitude that we are to have, that humility. But have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now follow this. He, Jesus, is exalted to the point of full authority, which is his role in the kingdom, okay? His role in the kingdom is full authority. He is exalted to that point. It says here, because he was humble enough to continue in the mission of God and accomplish what it is that God was asking of him. Now, some of you might think, okay, that's great, but I'm here to tell you this. You submitting to God comes before the establishment of you in maturity to God and to usefulness. You want to be useful? If you want to be useful, education is not the first thing you gain. If you want to be useful in the kingdom of God, the first thing that you do is not necessarily anything but to submit to God. Humility. Listen to this. This is where I get this from. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, 
Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, the very thing that causes us not to submit to authority is the very thing that God literally says he will do if we can fall underneath him. You want your life to be useful and purposeful? Stop fighting against everything and start working with God. Begin the process of seeing yourself as somebody who is humble, under authority, and recognizing that God himself is waiting to give you something that you may have never felt before. A strengthening, an establishing, a confirmation of who you are. Jesus is exalted because he fulfills the mission of God. And he is put in the role of full authority in the kingdom of God. Our exaltation will be that we are co-heirs with Christ. In the coming kingdom, we will rule with him. Under him. But if we choose not to submit to him, we will never get an opportunity to rule anything. This is the beauty of God. This is the beauty of submission. Anytime the Lord asks us to submit to an authority, including his own, it's always followed by blessing. It's always followed by blessing. Listen to this. I'll give you a few examples. A child is told to honor their parents. Why? That it may go well with them. In Romans 13, 4, we are told that God gives us governments and rulers for our good. In Ephesians 6, it says that even bondservants, slaves, should obey their masters because God will repay anyone for doing good. And also in Ephesians 6, 5, excuse me, it says that wives are to perform a radically countercultural act by following their husbands. And because of this, they will be a catalyst for their husband's transformation to be more like Christ, according to 1 Peter 2, 3, or 1 Peter 3. But that then husbands lay down their lives for their wives and wash them with the word. And that this united growth process paints a masterpiece of what the gospel really is in the world. Have you ever asked yourself the pictures in relationship that God gives of the gospel and the separation between us truly understanding the gospel, do you think sometimes maybe it's because we haven't fully lived into the pictures that God has given us? If submission has a negative connotation for you, hopefully today you've come closer to being able to joyfully, willingly, and humbly submit to God and those in leadership under him. Now, this is not an issue of equality, and I want to I make this really clear, okay? In the kingdom of God, there is no one person better than another, okay? Roles, distinctions, tasks, those don't make people better than another. That's not how God works, okay? But it is how the kingdom works. 
The kingdom works because we don't all work the exact same. Again, that's not a value issue. Everyone is valuable. Everyone equally valuable, okay? I was dead. You were dead. The greatest pastors that have ever lived, they were dead in their transgressions and sins, and God made them alive. There was no value outside of what God has given to us. There's nothing that we can claim that makes us better than one another. That's not at all what I'm saying here. And authority as a responsibility is not necessarily a recognition of somebody being better than another. In fact, it's not. Now, I say this, and some of you look at me like, all right, Danny, are you trying to establish some weird communist utopian, you know, enclave? Like, what are you talking about here? Look, I'm not naive enough to think that this works out perfectly throughout the centuries. I understand it doesn't. I understand that God's order is sometimes usurped by the ones he's given to establish order. That if the people in authority don't choose to submit to God's authority, then they will abuse that authority. And I understand that all of us have been on the the wrong end of this. And I want to tell you this, okay? If you are somebody who's been abused by an authority figure, or you are currently being abused by someone who's an authority figure in your life, you can appeal to another authority figure in this, okay? Look, if you're if you're in a relationship that, you know, say it's a spouse, right? If, you're, if your spouse is abusing you physically or emotionally, call the cops, okay? Don't be somebody who thinks that what this means is that you don't seek to continue to get out from underneath poor leadership. And I'm not saying that you get out from underneath by just simply usurping God's authority because that's not it. Okay? And some people, some people, I want you to understand that the reason why you go to the police in this situation is because they are in authority. That they're in for our good to punish the wrongdoer. Okay? If whatever it may be, professor, parent, whoever it is, if somebody in your life is an authority in your life and they are abusing you, by all means, go to the police. Okay, if they're abusing you spiritually, come right on that connection card and say, I don't know what to do, but this person is holding over my head that if I don't do this thing that they want me to do, that I'm not under God's will and all this other stuff. If you're being abused spiritually, I want you to know, right on that card, let us pray for you. And one of the elders will probably call you, want to talk about it, and we'll figure out what needs to be done. Okay? So what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying that we submit to a earthly authority when they want us to go against God. When they want us to go against what God says. But I am saying for the rest of us, for most of us in this room, I don't know where you're at with this idea. And you may be somebody who says, I do everything that the authority in my life tells me to do. But if your heart and your disposition is still one of this white knuckle, whatever, I don't even care, I do what they tell me to do, but I hate it, I'm here to tell you that's not biblical submission. Biblical submission is this, that we joyfully, willingly, and humbly trust Christ with our lives and perceived rights, seeking to live under his rule and those in leadership under him. What does that look like for us?
What does that look like for you? Are you choosing not to submit to Christ in an area of your life, whether that's sin, a relationship? I'm going to pray. And if you know that you need to repent, you don't have to listen to me pray. You can just talk to God by yourself. Father, I thank you for today. And I pray that as we go forward, that your name would be exalted in us. We love you, Jesus. And we trust you. And we don't want to go against you. You are so big and so powerful, bigger than anything we've ever seen. We love you, Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.